This is the weekly eye-catching words podcast. What makes this space different is that there are no ads, no subscription fees, and no hard sell. More to the point it's for ordinary people, a sharing space that won't cost you anything to listen to, and won't make you any money if you contribute. No hustle, no hassle, and no meat fish or dairy. So let's get on with this week's episode. Thank you, James, for that almost flawless introduction. My name is Justin Dix. What do you mean, almost flawless? I mean, it was excellent. Not perfect, but excellent. I take exception to that. Can I just point something out here? You are an AI-generated voice. It's not your business to be interrupting my podcast. Now, please, I need to get on. Why can't I join in? Why can't you join in? Because it's my podcast. Now, please, just back off. A ventriloquist does not expect his dummy to talk back. How very rude. Hmm, I might need to sack him and get one of those nice American voices instead. Hello, my name is Justin Dix. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. Just to note that this is the 30th episode of my experimental podcast and I'm rapidly approaching the point where I need to decide where to go with it. It's been a blast, but it really has just been a sandbox where I can improve my use of the technology, learn what it's like to set and meet a weekly deadline, and hone my editing skills. It lacks two important things. The first is the diversity of having guests and contributors, and the second is a focus, or that much hated phrase, a unique selling point. So over the coming weeks, I'm going to be exploring how to make my new hobby horse a bit more structured and diverse and fit to go out into the world of podcasts and compete. Bear with me as the experiment continues. Anyway, back to business as usual. This week, the older bloke from Woking will be taking the usual look back at the news, followed by feature items about holiday planning, As usual, I am being supported and challenged by my lovely soulmate, who is my biggest fan and my sternest commentator. And as you will already have gathered, I'm also experimenting with artificially generated voices, and I would love to know if you found this useful or annoying. So pin back your lug holes, pop in your earbuds, and pay attention in class. So last week was dominated by the Titanic tourism disaster, which claimed five lives and its counterpoint in the Greek boat tragedy which looks to have claimed over 300. The issue here isn't the maths but the gap that it has yet again exposed in our social attitudes. Rich people are once again grabbing the headlines at the expense of the unfortunate masses. This may seem harsh but it's a fact. The White House reported that Joe Biden was being kept appraised of the progress with finding the Titanic submersible. Why? If five people were trapped in an overturned car at the bottom of a gorge in Wyoming, would it have been necessary to keep the president up to date? Well, the answer is yes, if the media thought it was newsworthy. And that is the nub of the matter. Politicians are interested in how they are part of the news cycle, and this was presented as newsworthy, whereas the large-scale loss of Pakistani life in a Greek boat was not. 
The story that grabbed all the headlines over the weekend, by contrast, involved no loss of life, but generated a huge amount of confusion. The Wagner group marching on Moscow, then giving up and got everyone in a lather. But then the bubble bath went flat and the main protagonists paddled off in different directions. There really is nothing to see here. But if you've ever watched Armano Inucci's Death of Stalin, you will know how Russian politics plays out. Simultaneously as both comedy and vicious tragedy. It's duck soup and Groucho Marx has the codes to the nuclear launch commands. I had a good week, by contrast, as no one marched on Woking, but there were some stirring events. On Thursday lunchtime, we, my eldest son and I, went over the local footbridge to collect the pink plastic tree that I bought from Ivy's, the closing down coffee shop. While we were waiting outside for Kirsty, the owner, to come back and open up the now derelict premises, a police car pulled up about 300 metres down the road with its blues but no twos in evidence. I thought nothing of it at the time. A barrel-shaped man came up and peered into the window of the defunct Ivy's coffee shop. Is Kirsty no there? he said. She's on her way, I said. We've come to collect the pink plastic tree. Och, I hope to say goodbye. Do you know how long she'll be? Uh, no, I said. Do you want me to give her a message? Aye, tell her Jimmy said goodbye. Little Scottish Jimmy. She'll know who you mean. Whereabouts in Scotland are you from, said my son. Paisley, said Jimmy. Do you know where that is? No, it's near Glasgow. I came here 36 years ago for six months and didn't go back. But I'm still a Scotsman. I'm no a sorry man like you. You're all bloody Tories. I'll bet you're a Tory through and through. My son laughed. Been nice knowing you, he said. I'm not a bloody Tory, I said. In fact, I'm a paid-up member of the Labour Party. Oh, yeah, good man. My auntie Jean was a Labour councillor. Anyway, tell Kirsty that we, Jimmy from Scotland, say goodbye and good luck. I will, I said. We carried on waiting. A young couple crossed the road carrying a big bunch of flowers and a large card with Kirsty written on it. Is the shop closed? asked the woman. Yes, I said, but Kirsty is just on her way. We've come to collect the pink plastic tree. Oh, said the woman. Will she be long? I hope not. At this point, a moped rider, Sans Moped, went running past, his helmet on his head and his arms flailing. He was pursued by an overweight policeman. The pair of them ran down the middle of the road and across the roundabout, then headed into the direction of the town centre. My money's on the guy with the helmet, I said. Oh dear, said the woman in a very sorry way that Jimmy would have disapproved of. At this point, an even more overweight sorry policeman ran past, puffing and huffing, way behind the other two. Kirsty turned up. I've come for the pink plastic tree, I said. Oh, and Jimmy from Scotland says goodbye. Yes, I just bumped into him, she said. My son and I grabbed the tree, which was in two parts. We walked off, leaving Kirsty hugging the couple with the flowers and the card. At the police car, a rather weary-looking woman was leaning on the bonnet and talking into a police radio, muttering something about officers in pursuit. In front of her was an abandoned moped. We carried the tree home and put it in the conservatory, but it was much too big. That evening I showed it to TSM. 
I hate it, she said. It is a bit tacky, I admitted, but they were selling up and I wanted to help. I got one of her famous raised eyebrows. I'll give it to the cricket club, I said. It'll fit nicely in the bar. Holiday planning. I don't know how you feel about holiday planning. I can't do it too early, but my wife is more impatient. So last week we did some holiday planning and it went like this. Her. We're going to Lisbon in three weeks time. Don't you think we should do some planning? Me. Okay, let's do it now. I plan to get on a plane and fly to Lisbon. Then I plan to book into our Airbnb. Then I plan to have a good time for a few days. Then I plan to fly home. All done. We are quite different when it comes to travelling. Once we book flights and accommodation with several months to go, I put the whole thing mentally to one side and only really get into it a couple of weeks before, or even days before, or sometimes on the plane itself if we've been really busy in the days leading up to our departure. My soulmate, by contrast, makes lists, buys guidebooks, researches on the internet, and rings up every friend and colleague who she knows has visited our destination in the past. She will even stalk the neighbourhoods of where we're going on Google Earth Street View, peer through the windows of shops, and press her virtual nose to the glass of eating establishments. Okay, I may be exaggerating a little bit there but she is a great one for preparation. My big fear in this highly sophisticated information world of ours is that if you over-prepare, you lose the pleasure of the naive experience. Naivety has a lot to recommend it when travelling, personal safety notwithstanding. I would rather find out about a city from a barman than a guidebook or from a barista rather than from Google. A good way of getting to know a country, but not one I would recommend, is to use its healthcare system. Some years ago, a family member we were travelling with ended up in a Tel Aviv hospital for a week with a serious medical condition. For the record, it ended happily, but in between times, we, and particularly my wife, who bore the brunt of it, learnt a lot about how to get by on a daily basis in a city where the emphasis was on endurance rather than enjoyment. Alternatively, you could try being stranded somewhere for a week due to an act of God. In 2010, the eruption of an Icelandic volcano caused the shutdown of European airspace. It blew up, literally, when we were flying back from Australia and were having a short stopover in Singapore. Suddenly, all the indicator boards for Europe went flight cancelled, and we found ourselves stranded. We spent the first night sleeping on the transit lounge floor whilst confused airline officials put Operation Headless Chicken into effect by way of a business continuity plan. The different phases of this ran as follows. First, denial. No worries, we'll be on our way again soon. Then confusion. We're not sure what's happening. Here is a meal voucher and a blanket. 
Then came the phase known as the shit has hit the fan, but we don't have a plan. More meal vouchers and a promise that well, everything will be okay. Meanwhile, the stranded passengers started forming into groups, lighting campfires, singing Kumbaya, swapping email addresses, hugging and crying and sharing toiletries and biscuits. A few rich unworthies sneaked off and booked into the transit hotel, which rapidly filled up. Treacherous bastards. We explored the airport, made contingency plans, and declined the offer of going to the showers in small groups. Eventually, we were whisked off in taxis to a hotel and were put up there by the airline at their expense. This was a whole other experience. First off, nearly everyone in our hotel was from a different flight. Their experience had been pretty awful in that they actually flew two hours out of Singapore before being turned back and landing where they'd started. Our sympathy for them cooled rapidly, however, as they went full Lord of the Flies on us and made it clear that we weren't welcome to join their gang or their meetings with airline officials or socialise with them in any way. We ignored this and went along to their meetings anyway. We then formed a tribe of three and ignored them back. There was, however, one interaction that remains vivid in my mind. I dabbled with yoga in those days and got up on the first morning at eight o'clock to do a few exercises by the hotel pool. A generously proportioned young woman was sitting on a recliner, stuffing her face with Pringles. Ooh, she said, are you doing yoga? I love yoga. I've got a friend what does it. She then proceeded to stuff the whole tube of Pringles down her throat while I tried not to fall over on one leg and make a spectacle of myself with a very downward dog that would result in my slipping into the pool. We had a week of this. It was one of the unhappiest travel experiences of our life. We weren't short of money. and Most of our expenses were covered by the airline or by our insurance. Work told us not to worry as there were lots of other people in the same boat so we weren't under any obligation to check emails and remote working as we know it today. It was in its infancy. My wife was interviewed by Radio 4 and gave the British Embassy a roasting on the airwaves for being so useless. As far as they were concerned, we had a roof over our heads, food in our stomachs and weren't being held at gunpoint, so they didn't care. They certainly didn't see it as their job to keep us informed. So we went to a couple of theme parks, ate out, did some shopping and read the news obsessively. My laptop was our lifeline and Facebook, which we'd not used much until then, suddenly became vital in terms of staying in touch with family and friends. Someone I knew innocently said that it was nice in the UK now as they could sit in their garden without planes flying over. I ripped into them and told them they were selfish and they unfriended me probably out of sheer terror at my reaction and afraid that I would bang on their door as soon as I got back to the UK and demand satisfaction. On day five, our son, aged 12, started crying into his meal one evening because he missed home and friends. Our older son and daughter back in England, aged 19 and 17 respectively, were desperate to get us back. 
On day six, the airline moved everyone into Pontin-style chalets on the outskirts of the city to save money. We told them to stuff it and booked into the Swiss hotel what we thought was going to be enormous personal expense. But fortunately, the skies opened the next day and my wife bludgeoned us into the first plane out. She had to use her highly developed assertiveness skills, which are not far off those deployed by Black Widow in the Marvel movies. We also had the misfortune to be sharing the plane with the Lord of the Flies gang again, but on landing, the whole flight erupted into applause and cheering, and we all went our separate ways. So in my view, it's not worth over planning a holiday. You never know what it will be like. And if you don't have expectations, you won't be disappointed. Look back in anger. A journal entry from nearly four years ago. The 28th of August 2019 was the day that Boris Johnson got the Queen to prorogue Parliament in an attempt to deliberately push through his plans for Brexit. Or was it? I think it was really the day that a small group of right-wingers took a significant step forward in taking control of the wider political agenda in Britain. I am truly appalled at the lies, cynicism, double standards and hypocrisy of these people. I don't think I've ever been so angry. I couldn't just leave work and go home as if nothing had happened. I wanted to go and stand outside Parliament and at least say I'd shouted in protest. So, I went to London after work. There was nothing to suggest the world was anything other than normal. People were joking about television programmes and work, and about having their boiler serviced before the winter set in. But at Westminster I was delighted to find thousands of people like me were angry and were protesting outside Parliament. We made a noise, we marched on Downing Street, we sat down, and brought the traffic to a standstill. We did not let the day go unremarked. The police were fine. The demonstrators were brilliant. Even the drivers were relaxed about it. There were only two dissenting voices, a wanky cyclist who didn't like having his outing slowed down by the crowds and a dodgy-looking Brexiteer who mouthed his usual defence of a bent referendum from the sidelines. I never thought, in all my sixty years, that I would be living in a country where this could happen. In reality Johnson is just a tool for the European Research Group. And, indeed, other shady characters, who we may never know about. Brexit is just part of their agenda. What I do know is that this was the day British democracy was left blooded on the floor of history, and only time will tell if it now gets kicked to death by the new Nazis, or manages to get to its feet again and fight back. They've been spoiling for a fight, and now they've got what they want. I'm actually not even sure I care about Brexit anymore. The bigger issue is the degradation of our public life, and the undermining of our culture as part of the systematic growth of an authoritarian regime in waiting. We are now no different to Trump's America, Erdogan's Turkey, or Bolsonaro's Brazil. But politicians can be replaced. Brexit, however, is similar to the burning of a rainforest in that the damage may not be reversible.
That's all from the Eye Catching Words podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed the last piece, which was an artificially intelligent voice by the name of Grayson. And he was narrating uh, a real journal entry of mine from nearly four years ago. We're going to play out this week, of course, with a bit of Elton John live from Glastonbury. As usual, if you want to read more, go to www.icatchingwords.blog. Have a great week. Sweet.